You're listening to a Destiny Park Media Podcast. Shut the door, have a seat. It's time for your favorite father figures. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm Michael Rowland. And I'm Mike Charlotte. That's right. We're both Mikes, and we're both ready to talk about our favorite show uh, from AMC that takes place in the 1960s. Uh, but before we do that, um, we like to cover some business in the first 15 minutes or so uh, of the show. I miss I mixed those two words up. That's okay. We'll, <laughs> no problem. We'll fix it in post. Um, <laughs> Jala, how are you doing? <laughs> how are you doing on this beautiful Friday evening? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. I I was at a uh, barbecue with a couple of friends of mine this afternoon while the baby was with um, the grandparents. So, so that was nice. And, uh, you know, had some rib, doing a little barbecue thing over there. Um, so that was fantastic. Shout out to the Olesons and Joe. My wife was there as well. We're just kicking it, doing a little bit of food and drink, of course. So today, got the water on deck, keeping it clean, at least for the evening. Okay. <laughs> nice, nice. But yeah, other than that, um, we've been having a little bit of a rough week with the babe. Um, she had she got this um, toddler virus called Coxsackie or something. Oh, no. And um, it's, it's, it's similar to like a, um, like a, like a bump on your tongue, kind of like a, like a canker sore. Yeah. So, um, it's been a little bit miserable for her cause she's, we've had to kind of like force her to eat stuff cause anything that's going in her mouth, you know, is touching the tip and it's causing pain. So, so that hasn't been fun, but luckily today, um, it's kind of been like the last day of, um of that of that pain so she's been doing pretty good so i haven't heard any complaints today so i think we're out of the clear you mean uh in the clear oh right yes yeah we're uh in the clear <laughs> you're so right <laughs> just want to make sure just want to make sure yeah i'm uh, just creating my own uh slang there so <laughs> i got you i'm sorry i'm sorry um, i'm just kidding well i'm glad luna's feeling better not much is new over here we have uh people working on my mom's deck good. um but they're not working on it now. Don't worry. That's good. <laughs> that would be a um, that would be a lot of uh, editing and noise filtering to do. <laughs> I don't know if there's a way to fix that. Right, um, right. <laughs> but but yeah, um, I did. You know, we talked about a certain hip hop artist last week, and I had mentioned I would listen to him. That's right. Now, now I didn't listen to uh, the new album because I'm still not sure exactly <laughs> how I'm supposed to listen to it. <laughs> right. I'm hearing. Hearing a lot of different discourse, <laughs> and I just wish I wish someone would figure out the exact way to listen to it for me to enjoy it. But that's yeah. okay. I uh, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> I actually wound up listening to to Pimp a Butterfly because I I remember when that came out, people were talking about it a lot, and I don't know why I didn't listen to it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's but, actually my favorite, by the way. Okay, cool. Well, I um I really enjoyed it. I uh, I took some notes here and there i'm not going to go too far into it but um if you want to hear my favorite tracks yeah i would say um they were these walls king kunta hood politics which 
I don't know. On second listen today, I didn't really like hood politics as much as uh, the first listen. Okay. Um, how much a dollar cost? Complexion, a Zulu love, I, which was just badass. And I know I've heard I in like uh, movie trailers and stuff, and I didn't know that was a Kendrick Lamar yeah, joint. Definitely and then, a good uh, song. Mortal Man. That was just a really cool closer. And um, I love Mortal Man. Yeah, I just thought it was a really really cool album. I think it's pretty damn long. That was my only my only thing. <laughs> um, but that's not necessarily a complaint. It's just like I have to do my stretches before I listen to it. Uh, right. You know, <laughs> my ear stretches. But yeah, really cool. So I'm going to keep listening to it and uh, check out some of his other stuff too. Yeah, um, man. So the main thing I've been listening to besides Kendrick Lamar is actually Oasis. Um, oh, nice. I don't know if you remember that band from the 90s. but Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Wonderwall yeah. and... Um those tracks and the like yeah <laughs> um they did they did a few other ones um no that's that's a band where like i had this huge oasis phase back in uh like right when i was going to college in 2010 and then i sort of forgot about them for a bit um but i don't know in revisiting the beatles which is going to be talked about in an upcoming episode of my other show uh is this podcast name taken um I started getting a craving for some of the Oasis stuff. And, you know, nice. this is where people would say, oh, yeah, because they're ripoffs. And, yeah, they they do take a few pages from the Beatles songbook here and there. But um, Noel Gallagher also has a ton of stuff of his own that he does. Um, the Be Here Now album is interesting because it's also a bloated album, um, which bloated has a negative connotation, but I don't mean it like that. Right. Um, but... It's actually well known in the Oasis fandom and by the band's like principal songwriter, uh, Noel Gallagher. Mm-hmm. He like every time he does an interview, he talks about how it's so like <laughs> so fat. The songs are too long. Um, the production, there's like way too much shit going on in the production. They were on coke <laughs> when they made it. So it's just a mess and their ears weren't working. <laughs> um, but so I let that color my like first few listens of it back 10 years ago or whatever. Um but like for some reason, I think I'd seen like live footage of one of the songs and they were playing it really well. And I'm like, this is a great tune. Fuck it. I'm going to give it another chance. And I went in just like I did with Kendrick Lamar. I went in with a completely open heart, open ears. And uh, I ignored, I didn't have Noel Gallagher's voice in my, in the back of my consciousness saying, oh, it's fucking shit. Oh, you fucking, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, the songs are too long. And like, Back back when I first tried it, I'm like, yeah, this is why is this song seven minutes? Wow, this is overblown. God, these guys were pompous. And then when I was listening to it this week, I'm just like, this fucking kicks ass. Like the guitar. I actually, I actually love a good. If you can do it well, I love a good strong long song. Um, yeah, that's so weird that you. Uh, this is very weird that you're mentioning this, but Kendrick is also one of those artists that does. Like each album, like you have one song that's a little lengthier than the others. I think sure. on the first album, you had like a nine minute record. Um, but it's like, but it's almost like two songs in one, pretty much. Um, Pimple Butterly, yeah. Butterfly, I can't remember what song was long on that one, but I'd have to go look back at the track list. But, uh, but I don't, I don't mind a long record. But you know what I do not like though? Uh, you mentioned what the artists, I, I hate when the artists, like uh shits on their project or like a uh, before letting people like digest it or and have their own thought about it um 
Sometimes they'll do it to like a song more more so than a full album. Um, okay. Lupe Fiasco used to say um, the song uh, "Superstar." He he like he didn't like the song or whatever. I thought it was. Well, that's a good one. And um, I was like, "This is a yeah." I was like thinking like, should I not like the song? And then, but then I was thinking to myself like, why does he hate it? And I and I guess it was kind of thinking to myself it's kind of poppy. And kind of colored my feeling towards the song. But if you remove yeah. all that negativeness about the song and just listen to it as a song, especially in the context of the album, I think it's one of his better songs. So so I always hate it when the artists kind of shit it on their own, like, songs. Or, yeah. You know, that type of thing. It really colors people's um, opinion before they have their own opinion about the song. Well, I think you bring up a good point that it colors people's opinions. And I think that that's like, I don't think it's even intentional by most fans to like, want to agree with the artist about their own work. Like John Lennon from the Beatles, he has trashed many McCartney songs. And uh, then you'll find those super huge Beatles fans who love John Lennon more than Paul McCartney go, oh yeah, this Paul, this Paul McCartney song sucks shit. And (laughs) I guarantee you that like, in an alternate universe where John Lennon never mentioned that he hates Maxwell's Silver Hammer, right? Uh, there is far less animosity by fans towards the song. It's just, right. I, I, I actually like hearing artists' opinions on their work. Like, as a songwriting geek, it's really like, it's like uh, something really cool for me to see. But I can't, I can't deny that it does sort of let the cat out of the bag, and it will forever change how certain people. And how and even me, I like to think I have a strong disposition about that stuff, but right. it changed how I saw that Oasis album for years. So Right, exactly. I, I like it, but I understand that there's also something to be said for an artist that like tries to not be negative in the public eye about their work. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting, this is an interesting discussion that could probably go on for a little while longer. But um, <laughs> right. I think we are... I think we are getting a, uh, a buzz from our producer here saying, Hey, wrap it up. <laughs> and our, pro- <laughs> they're doing the, that, but backwards because they're like, Hey, you're going to, you're going too long, <laughs> going too long about this Oasis shit. Nobody cares about them. But, Stop talking about fucking music yeah. on a goddamn <laughs> madman podcast. Oh man. It was, this is about 15 minutes. Okay. All right. Well, for anyone still here, um, <laughs> I, we are now, <laughs> This is the uh, <laughs> should should artists have freedom of speech podcast? That's what this is, um, and we're both so we're both saying no, they should not. No. Yeah. Um. Well, without further ado, Jala, I think it's time to go on an audio journey through Madison Avenue and talk about this week's episode, which is um, it's called New Amsterdam, and it was written by um. Michael edit out this awkward pause as I get through, get to my notes, or keep it in. I'm human. Um, it's written by Lisa Albert and directed by Tim Hunter. Yep, uh, uh, episode four. Episode four. So we're four in on this this series, and uh, I guess the question is, can this live up to episode three? Because episode three was, I think, both of our, if memory serves, it was both of our favorite episodes of the series so far. Yeah, and. To answer that question, uh, why don't you join me, Jala? I've got my hand outstretched to you, and let's get on this carousel. But uh, before we do the carousel, my sir, 
Fuck I it. Must do I do this every week. Breakdown. <laughs> I do this every goddamn week. It's because the right. carousel uh, this episode is so juicy. Yeah, know? the carousel's the. That's where I get really deep and pontificate. <laughs> but, uh, and in the uh, <laughs> thirty second breakdown, I kind of defecate. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. You do a pretty good job. <laughs> okay. And just so the fans know, we don't rehearse the 30-second breakdown, okay? So, I'm seeing comments all over the social media. They're like, these guys are doping up. <laughs> they're, they're, they, they got ghost writers. They're, writing, they're stuff. writing stuff down. In, this, in the TikTok, I can see Michael look at his hand and read stuff off. <laughs> no, I can't. Like a pen if you think If you think I can read my own handwriting, you got another thing fucking coming, okay? <laughs> This man, this man has disturbing handwriting. Okay, um, so I'll do the thirty-second breakdown because I think it's my turn. Okay, I got your thirty seconds. Okay, ready? Thirty seconds to Mars. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go at a three, two, one. Blast off! This week's episode begins with the boys Pete, Harry, and Ken uh, listening to a Bob Newhart album that is ill-fated. Um, Pete and Trudy get to checking out an apartment and uh trudy uh has family support so she gets her parents to help pay for it pete is pissed off at this somehow don has to figure out how to get a uh client happy and pete actually gets in the way of that and betty and get, uh, dates a creepy kid. uh fuck <laughs> dates um she uh fuck no it's all good all good <sighs> fail you're at Fail. Time. Yeah, I know. You got so close, Betty, though. It was real close. Betty uh, babysits a creepy kid. His, I was about to finish. Yeah, you were so close. I could, I could, uh, I could uh, definitely feel okay. like no. coming around the corner there. What was I at? Like 34 seconds when I finally finished yeah, it? Yeah, it was like around 32 or so. Oh, man. Not too bad, though. Well, I got. I had a hard time figuring out how to talk about the Pete plot. Right. Because um, he's basically all over the episode. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, he's that's, in, that's the thing. He's like he's all over in and out of the episode, so it's tricky. Yeah, that's the thing that I love about this episode is that Don is actually like a background character in this episode for the most part. Right. Um, this yeah. is a uh, this is Pete Campbell's episode. Yeah, absolutely. And with that said, I got my hand out this time. Don't slap it away this time. Join me on the carousel. You can get up yourself. You don't need to take my hand. Out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm taking uh, your hand, buddy. Nostalgia. It's delicate, but potent. Sweetheart. Yeah. So, I don't have a ton of memory um, of this of this episode when i first watched it but um i do remember that obviously pete's being like the main protagonist of this episode basically so what i can say about uh watching it now is that you you really get a like a glimpse inside of uh pete's pete's headspace his family situation from his family of origin and his new family with his wife and um and her parents and things of that nature. It's wild to kind of see. Um, obviously, Pete not a huge fan of his father. <laughs> for people that were watching, uh, for obvious reasons. 
But the writing in this episode, uh, done by Lisa, is... I really enjoyed it. She has a lot of really sly lines um, that are really subtly said by characters in this episode um, that actually serve as like a bigger meaning to the overall show and the characters usually being said to that character um directly but um so i really love that and i actually really love the pace of this episode um the way that lisa kind of breaks down um pete and his struggle and him kind of being you know very like I identify with what Pete's um, back and forth with the Trudy and kind of like not wanting to have to jump into anything financially big if they can't like do it themselves. You know what I mean? And by do it themselves, you know, it really means back then is like Pete doing it. Right. Because it's really like a one household type of income thing. You know what I mean? For the time period. Um, and Pete's just kind of starting out his, you know, starting out his life as a young guy getting his feet wet with the new job and um yeah he just wants more you can just tell that he wants more out of his life and uh and his dad just you know kind of shits on but we'll go into more detail about that um a little bit later so it's kind of just to give you a feel of what i was seeing in the episode and don to me he kind of felt very threatened in this episode um very background in this episode generally but but you can tell He's very defensive at work, and uh, it shows in a few different ways. So that's kind of my basic overview of how I felt and how, like, you know, Pete is Pete is getting tossed around a bit. You know what I mean? I know, I know, it's your guy. So, um, <laughs> so I'm kind of interested to hear what uh, you think about. And in this instance, I, I like Pete too as well. I mean, in this episode, you really get a good picture of kind of why Pete is you know who he is and more so like why pete does what he does you know what i mean yeah or acts the way he acts so um go ahead and give me your uh your slice of new amsterdam so what i um remember about watching this episode is it really felt like a game changer for the whole arc of the first season because there is this feeling like wait i thought this character's story was pretty much done in regards to Pete Campbell. Right. Um, I think most shows would have Pete be like an annoying foil in the first episode. And then he, he does some stuff in the first um, or in the second and third episode. But it, it's like it seems like his story is mostly going to be in the background as a foil to Peggy and love interest uh-huh. to Peggy. Yeah. Um, but in this episode, they actually like humanize this weasel character from the, the pilot. And you're like, oh. Yeah, he he's a human being and has motivations that I can actually understand, um, which makes which makes some of his despicable behavior easier to uh, understand and uh, doesn't make it good. But it it goes from being a one dimensional digest. It's more it's more like it goes from being a one dimensional annoyance to the show to like captivating for me. Um, Okay, your mileage may vary, but um, I really enjoy the scene with. uh, pete and his family uh because for me pete isn't the bad guy in that scene um Mm -hmm. pete's dad is and you know it's it's a really hard scene to watch um because i think they really nailed they nailed the aspect of like a waspy family where um 
the mom is trying to keep everyone getting along and not focus on like difficult topics and uh but there's just so much resentment between the kids and the dad and no it's it's really interesting um it is but i think the thing that i was most excited about for this episode is that this is i remember it being like one of my favorite episodes of the whole series um because pete's on fire <laughs> in his uh comedic lines in the show his these are some of his best ever uh mm-hmm. we'll get into that in the sterling's gold but um i i just love when pete is in the same room as don and they're not getting along because yeah pete has this interesting way of he'll think he's saying something that owns don and like proves that he's <laughs> right but it actually makes him look worse and yeah he's basically like digging a hole for himself when he's saying these stupid lines well not stupid no but, no but but like uh you know against don but he has righteous indignation about them and he thinks he's winning the argument <laughs> <laughs> right. so the i don't like to read quotes too much but my favorite line one of my favorite lines in the whole series and this counts as a carousel because my brother joe and i um we we have quoted this line so much in the in the, our discussions about the show uh, and it's when Pete is talking to Don after the uh, the first meeting with Walt, the uh, Bethlehem Steel account guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pete says, I have ideas. <laughs> Don <laughs> says, I'm sure you do. Sterling Cooper has more filled artists and intellectuals than Third Reich. And this is, I think, funnier than any line in history. You know what? I have good ideas. In fact, <laughs> I used to carry around a notebook and a pen just to keep track. Direct marketing? I thought of that. It turned out it already existed, but I arrived at it independently. (laughs) And then I come to this place. Here's the part where he buries himself, and it's like, what are you talking about, man? And then I come to this place, and you people tell me that I'm good with people, which is strange, because I'd never heard that before. (laughs) Actually, I I really love that line, um, because he's so dead serious when he's saying it, too. He's thinking about it, and he's like, you shoving me in this like role basically where I can't like excel or like, you know, putting me in a box basically. I'm not even good with people. It's almost like a job you're just right. giving me. Yeah. Like I'm not being assessed correctly, which I think is really genius. I actually really like that line. It's it's an amazing line. Um, just for him sticking up for like what he wants, you know, being almost describing like being kind of like a not grouchy but like um an aggressive way of saying like like i don't fit the description but then it's like well you're putting your whole role in this company at uh (laughs) at risk when you're saying i'm not good with people uh but the line the line that's funny for me is just he's saying i thought of that idea i mean it already existed but i i yeah i came to it independently independently. yeah he's like okay great (laughs) Don's face in in the exchange is just like he's he's shocked at what Pete's saying because like what this yeah it's a very dad dad <laughs> moment he gives him there yeah yeah but um the thing that the theme of this episode is like I think it's about what your parents give you and um oh yeah there's there's the whole theme of we gave you your name and Pete at, at he the thing about Pete that is tough to watch is that he's very entitled. Um, mm-hmm. and even in a moment where I'm like, I feel bad for him and I wish his parents would help support him and Trudy with the, uh, apartment. 
Mm-hmm. You'll notice he he didn't ask them. He said, "We're going to need help with the down payment." And then yeah, just that was another move that I really liked. Uh, uh, definitely a move that I liked. He wasn't meek about it. You know what I mean? Sure. Like which I thought you you know he might have thought he would have been knowing Pete thus far. He probably would have been like you know. Well, I was thinking maybe to try to weasel his way, but he he was very he no. was direct. I'm not saying I'm not saying this is bad that he did it, but I'm just saying like he he. He does say to Trudy in the car, that's my money, I'm going to get it eventually. So uh-huh. there, there is an attitude like, this is what I'm owed. Um, yeah. But his parents, or at least his dad says, we gave you your name, and what have you done with it? And Pete looks at that, and he isn't grateful for it at all. But what Pete doesn't realize is that name is what saved his job in this episode. Right. So no, it is an interesting true. dichotomy. Honestly, though, it's... If you really like, it's not the Campbell that saves him. It's his mom, right? It's his mom's last name, Dykeman. Um, Dykeman. Right. I don't know her first name, but her. But yeah, you're right. It isn't the Campbell. Um, but but still, I guess you could make a point of that, where it's like it's not his dad who's a piece of shit, right? But it's his mom who is a lesser shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, she's she's more like um, kind of more like a subdued type person non-confrontational and and she's trying to right. avoid things and yeah she she just like his his dad is you know smug type of he's so smug for like we'll find later obviously um they don't talk about it what pete that what pete uh pete's dad does or whatever but he's very smug for yeah. what he does in his life as i noticed that it was very on his high horse, you know what I mean? Like, uh, he's, he wants to take credit for, like, the power that um, that's in the family. But, but honestly, the power that's, is, yeah. you know, with, the, with, his, with his mom. And you find that piece out kind of more in, uh, later in the episode. Uh, when they get in the apartment and the, the ladies are kind of, like, talking about him having, like, this great-great relatives um, from his mom's side and... And, you know, yeah. Trudy's kind of playing it up uh, while they're talking to the, you know, the ladies about getting their first apartment. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I, I remembered this episode being, like, all-time favorite, phenomenal. Um, mm-hmm. Pete's on fire. I, I love Pete in this episode. Um, but um, I can't say that it's, like, a five. I don't know if it's, like, okay. the one because it's missing, like, Peggy and Joan two awesome characters and um i think also the betty and glenn plot in this episode is uh extremely unfortunate i uh, <laughs> i do not like i do not like it wait you're talking about um oh right unfortunately i don't like it i think it's okay. uh it's just sort of like sitting there and uh it is it is like a very interesting that whole like We'll get down the road, I guess, with it. The Betty Glenn thing, though, is pretty interesting. It's, yeah, I find it very regrettable because uh, I oh, found yeah, out oh, yeah. that uh, the scene where where Glenn walks in on her taking a, a pee or going to the bathroom or whatever is based on um, Matthew Weiner doing that as a kid to a woman he liked. Oh, really? Yeah, and he told his kid that. That's a juicy one. He told his kid that, and his kid's like, wow. Dad, you're weird. So Glenn knows this is weird as a kid, thankfully. 
but so there's some parts of Mad Men that sort of don't <laughs> don't make sense. Uh, they usually involve Betty for some reason, but there's certain <laughs> scenes that just like that don't really make sense. You know, like it doesn't sound right. like humans talking. And I, I'd say yeah. when Glenn asks for Betty to cut off a piece of her hair and then Betty does it, like I. I I get that she's like, oh, this kid has a hard life. He's missing his dad. He doesn't have a dad. Mm-hmm. His mom is a single mom, and she she's judging her. But, like, I just... I remember going back to the carousel thing. I remember when I first watched this, I go, wait, why the fuck did Betty do that? Why would she actually yeah. cut yes, off her exactly. hair for a little boy who had just shown, like, way advanced sexual interest in her for his age? Right. Um and then she does it and then says go to bed go to bed right and i don't know man the whole thing thank is you. really you. really seedy and really weird now that i know that it it's is like, very weird now that i know that it's based off the creator's life now if i ignore that and put that in a bubble because we talked about ignoring artist intent when we consume media and music right Absolutely. i still don't like it i still don't know i think the glenn stuff in the show is going to be interesting to see how that ages because right. uh, I, uh, when I first saw that scene, um, now that you mention it, um, I remember like being like kind of, I guess, upset at Betty, but not really upset at Betty. It was kind of more like, um, the, you know what I thought when I first saw it? I, I thought that when she first saw it, she was really eating up the attention. Yes. And I thought that was super weird. Um, and I really didn't like that part. Um, if you, It really kind of annoyed me that that character that really enjoyed that type of attention yeah. from a kid. Uh, watching it now, though, um, I kind of try to piece more toward um, like why Glenn was doing the, what he was doing and the way he is. Which helps me kind of like digest the scene a yeah. little bit better. Um, still inappropriate. Um and he's not like a toddler or anything. He's kind of like an older kid, maybe like around like eight or nine, maybe even like ten. But um, just the fact that he doesn't know how to express himself, especially around women, you know. Um, so a lot of the stuff that's coming out of his mouth is like um, things that he things that he thinks that he should be saying to a girl, but he's talking to like a full grown woman. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of those lines are crossed in his head. I think. So it kind of helps me to like psychologically dig into like Glenn's psyche a little bit more versus when I first saw it. And I was kind of like, I didn't think too much about Glenn. I just thought he was being like weird or whatever. And Betty's just yeah. eating it up. A um, little too surface level. I mean, for on first watch, but it, but it's a weird scene, honestly. Um, as a kind of more understandable now though, given kind of like his like, family situation and kind of kids act out in certain ways and stuff like that and now it's that was definitely an act out though Uh, you know what i mean yeah um no and i'm not i'm not trying to be like a social justice guy you know i genuinely don't like it it's not like i'm offended it's just like i think it's badly portrayed uh yeah yeah and and the the scene is weird all around anyway it, it, and it, it doesn't really matter, like, me, like, digging into the psychology of it. it doesn't really change that the scene is weird. You know yeah. I mean? And no disrespect to either actor, but um, I will say 
if we're trying to like be positive about anything, like e- even stuff that we don't like on the whole, I think mm-hmm. what I noticed this time is that the staging for it is really interesting where Glenn's on the couch and Betty's next to him and the lighting over by Glenn is darker and more subdued and like he's sort of shrouded and in shade. And then Betty has perfect lighting. She looks almost like an angel. So yeah, Yeah, it's like, it shows that he's like putting her on a pedestal and, uh, yeah. Romanticizing her like crazy, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I, more importantly, I don't know that it fits in with the rest of the show so far. And it just feels really, I don't know. I just don't like it, but (laughs) I, I, (laughs) that's the only thing that keeps this episode from being like like one of the all-time classics for me but like the stuff with pete is an all-time classic for sure yeah um and pete is strong in this episode Um, it really showcases like him as a character and it's the first appearance of the lovely allison brie as oh yeah uh, as trudy Uh, thanks for bringing that up she's she is an interesting character because she is so privileged and so wealthy and you still like sense some like empathy and goodness in her. Like, I don't... yeah, she she's not like fully like corrupted in that way. You know, she's very sweet, and um, she has a great attitude. You know what I mean? Um, she's very like she she kind of has that I guess that go get itness, which I guess could be coming from the privileged side of her, maybe. Sure. Um, but um, I do like that. You know, that she cares. You know, she goes to see him at work and, um, you know, like wants to do, like hang out with him yeah. and do lunch with him. And, and she called to make sure that, like, it's cool. It's her being thoughtful, you know, being a newlywed and, like, Love her. It's, it's cute. Um, I enjoy Trudy that way. I like that she, I like that she's able to thaw when, when Pete's getting really cranky with mm-hmm. her. I, I, reflexively i get nervous that he's going to be like super mean to her but she always seems to like reach his heart in the in this cool way yeah where he does calm down like when he says to her in the car that she gets everything she wants doesn't she and she says i got you <laughs> that's all i and i that makes my she's not she's not meek no. she but she says i got you that's all i ever really wanted and even pete when he's in his most privileged and whiny entitled way right. he does smile at that and it's like, that makes me really happy to, I don't know, that's a really sweet thing to say in the middle of a sort of a tense argument. Right. I got you. <laughs> it is, it is. She, she She's very good at like, um, like disarming him, I think. Like, easy to break the ice. Almost as if she, she's like used to, I don't know, like, I mean, obviously they've been together for a decent amount of time before knowing him um but you know she probably knows that pete says his ups and downs yeah. but she's been really good at managing yeah him, and which makes her a great partner to be honest um that's a good skill yeah she's she's strong to deal with pete's bullshit you know right so, exactly another cool strong uh woman character in Mad Men, which um i don't know if it's the There's so many yeah Hey, and then Don says, "Hey, what about those guys?" Uh, well, you guys, are, <laughs> you guys are great characters. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, um, <laughs> yeah Don's already <laughs> My fragile masculinity. Um, <laughs> uh, I hate that. I, I, I just said I wasn't a social justice guy. Come on. Um, yeah, chill out. I don't know. I think for this one, I'm going to give it a four point five, four and a half Manhattan's. I think it's some of the best stuff in the series, along with 
um, a real dour, sour note in the series. And uh, right, exactly. I do. I do think that you know, buckle up because you could expect more of this type of stuff, um, the good stuff, and uh, also some of the. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's not a perfect episode, right. and it's Something. not a perfect series by any means. But right. the highs are so high, my friend. Oh yeah. So what did Absolutely. what did you think of the? What's your rating? What's your Manhattan rating? And by the way, the song at the end of the episode is called Manhattan, and it's sung by Ella Fitzgerald. So that's a uh, nice little note there. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Gotta love Ella Fitzgerald, man. Uh, fantastic ending music. For me though, um, I gotta put this episode. Initially, I was thinking four. But I really just love the writing of this episode so much. And the quotes that are being said. Obviously, I didn't go through a ton of stuff that I enjoyed quote-wise. But there's so many, obviously. Um, so, we mentioned some already. Um, I just like the writing and the storyline of this. Uh, so, I gotta go with you, man. 4.5. Sweet. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's a strong episode. And, and, and you know what, though? Strong episode carried by Pete. Yeah. So you so you got to give it even more props because of that. You know what I mean? Um, it's not like the whole cast was like in this. Uh, well, not at least not the main three were heavily involved in this episode, and it was still really well written and well done. So four point five for me. Yeah, and it the the key to a really great episode of Mad Men is when the business and the personal is uh, full of action or full of intrigue and. I d- we didn't mention much about the business side of the episode, but to me, it's one of the best plots of the episode. Uh, I mean, sorry, of the series. Um, Pete performing the ultimate betrayal, where he's stepping into right. the creative role as an execu- an account executive. It's just so fucked up. It's like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? So <laughs> I know. Funny. I mean, because his dad, his dad was putting the battery in his back, <laughs> like the the whole episode. And that's what I love about the episode. Because not to interrupt you, but no, like, you're good. I, I wanted to make sure we brought this up. Like, what makes it work is that you see why both these men, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pete and Don, are acting this way in this meeting. Pete's in a shit mood because he talked to his parents. And the thing is, is that, like, when you see your family and, like, it brings up stuff from your childhood, that can get you in your feelings. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, you, you, for long. you yeah. revert back a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It happens all the time. Like, even in really subtle ways, like, um, like even suddenly like if you're just hanging around with your parents or something and you kind of fall into the role that you used to fall into unless you establish a new role for yourself like in the family or whatever um but which i have um but um i definitely get you know inklings of it and you kind of can fall back into that whole like kid style role that used to be you know that you used to be in when with your family so so yeah it's interesting just to see pete um kind of dealing with that in his background and with don i mean don we haven't really gotten to his background quite yet but but you can tell that he doesn't jive with the pete's whole upbringing and um, his privileged stuff you know what i mean you can just tell it rubs him the wrong way and also um the menken situation was rubbed in his face you know, they ran into each other at the office and she said, she rejected him. She said, I see no reason for us to get lunch, you know? And yeah, that's what, what happens next is the meeting. Oh yeah, that's right. In the episode. Um, he was, yeah, you're right. He was yeah. pissed by that. I remember that. I actually, well, yeah, I didn't put those. I don't think it's together. the, 
yeah, yeah. it's not like it's the same like the next scene is the meeting but like the next dawn scene is definitely the meeting um yeah because sure. he's he's bothered by it um but yeah um so you were you gave this one a 4.5 as well uh yep going 4.5 i do want to say that if it wasn't for the uh the cooper scene where they visit cooper this might be a four for me as well but or a 4.25 but that scene is like it's so interesting because like the direction on that scene becomes like a movie like super cinematic the shot of them taking off their shoes of uh yeah. roger roger's slightly becoming smaller when he takes his shoes off and uh <laughs> it's just that's a it's that's so, a good catch man thank you yeah no i i don't know why but i find that funny that shot of him it is know, it is losing a few inches <laughs> and um <laughs> There's just something about the master, the master Cooper. He just dominates the room because they're sitting, he's standing, and he's just in complete control. But he's not being a jerk until the end when he he starts mocking Don a bit. When you know, yeah, he just sits, sits back a lot um, in that conversationally. You know what I mean? He lets them get off what they yep. want to say about how they feel about what happened, and he's kind of like, "Yeah, sorry about that, but." Uh... I can't, I can't agree. <laughs> it's kind of just, it is very cinematic if you really think about it. Uh, very movie-esque. But this is what I'm saying about the writing. Every line in that scene is phenomenal. Like, yeah. What I, what I wanted to get across is like, there's no wasted camera movement or dialogue or facial expression in that whole scene. Um, everyone is on fire. Yeah. And I just, I, you don't know how it's going to go until, uh, you know... <laughs> Where Cooper says, Pete Campbell. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Sterling tries to take control and say he's on his way out, I'm afraid. And Cooper's just like, I'm sorry to hear that. But you could tell he's he's not really, like, he knows that this is going to go his way. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Can't be helped. You know, he pitched copy, blah, blah, blah. I wish I could agree with you. <laughs> I love also the shot of, uh, cooper with little baby sterling on his lap it's a cute cute picture and the props yeah, department that was cute props to the props department props okay because the they did a great job with that photo um but yeah no I, I just love that scene and cooper the ultimate lesson of that scene is that it furthers don's arc in that he wants to get involved with the you know higher management in the company but he, he needs to learn how to stomach this stuff and deal with people he doesn't get along with now will he i don't know the subtle thing about don is that he's always like giving pissy little responses to cooper uh, throughout the whole scene mm-hmm. um and cooper just it doesn't care about them he doesn't let them bother him at all and uh then at the end he he mockingly whistles now here's the thing jala someone watching this might be going wait a second isn't that the barney theme song uh where <laughs> Cooper is whistling. <laughs> I can't. I can't whistle. Um, that's true. But that that's uh, that didn't come out until 1993. Barney. Um, so I looked it up just to make sure this wasn't a colossal goof. <laughs> uh, you know, and then he says, 
have you seen that Barney show? I just love that. That's, <laughs> that's, so and that's that's when they they're like uh, Cooper. We we you need to get out of here, man. You you can't be watching baby shows. <laughs> we we need, <laughs> we, need, we need we need to oust you. No, it's um this old man. Apparently, it's a traditional song. Um, I didn't know that though. I it's weird. I had this Mandela effect thing where I like remembered hearing a nice like old version of that song from like the sixties. So that's what I thought it was. Yeah. But I couldn't find it. Huh. I thought there was like a, a lounge singer going, I love you. You love me. <laughs> Etc. I told you I wasn't going to sing in this episode. You, but I you did it. broke my promise. <laughs> uh, okay. But yeah, so I think for our episode rankings, this is number one. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I think I think you're right, actually. Um from, uh, episode one through four, I think I think that's about right. But let's see, will it be dethroned? Mm, well, it, I think it definitely has a chance to be dethroned. <laughs> that's for sure, um, especially okay. this season. Okay, all right, it's it's coming. Uh, there's some real gold right. coming around the corner, and uh, I cannot wait for it. So all right, we shall see, man. We shall see. Okay, all right. Um, no, yeah, the show never gets better than a 4.5. God, can you imagine if we did a podcast about a show and we're like, yeah, it's never perfect. Yeah, it's never, <laughs> right. Never a five. <laughs> never got there. They should have us write an episode. Yeah. No, this was one of the first episodes that I was like super excited about, man. So Yeah, for sure. From here on out, it's going to be, uh, it's all downhill from here, but in like a fun way. Like it's a fun hill. Right, exactly. Yeah. The funnest of hills. <laughs> fun hill. That's the name of this podcast now. Fun hill. Um. Well, it's time for Sterling's Gold. Nicely done. I didn't think you had it in you, and I mean that. What's the best comedic quote from the episode? Now, I'll, I'll start off with this one because it was really, 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 really hard to pick a, a funny quote from this episode because it's so goddamn good. Um, oh yeah, a lot going on. But I think for Sterling's Gold, it has to be like the character knows they're being funny when they say it too. Right, okay. It's not like it's at the the character's expense, you know? You're right. Does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. Sterling is all about making funny jokes and funny comments. Oh, yeah. That's hilarious. That's how I feel about the Sterling's Gold section of the pod. Um, yeah, so, I've mixed mine up um, a few times where I've had, like, funny to me uh, at the expense of a character and then, like, Sterling lines that were really hilarious. Okay. Well, maybe I'm overthinking it. But for me, I have... Uh, my favorite Cooper, or I'm sorry, my favorite uh, Sterling line, and I think one of the funniest lines of the whole series, <laughs> is uh, after Pete says, you know, I, I, what, what does he say to Don? He says, uh, I won't let you down, Don. Uh, yeah. yeah, he says, I won't let you down, Don. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Sterling, unable to hide his disgust, says, Jesus, Campbell, don't ever say that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, that scene in general is a comedic tour de force. Um it shows what a genius Sterling is that he takes this situation and uses it to make Don. Yeah, it still adds levity. Yeah, and it it, it makes it so that Don is being held in higher esteem by Pete. Um, so yeah, I think that's my favorite. And then I guess for one, that's the character not trying to be funny, but I laugh out loud every time. Um, when Pete says, you thought it was a good idea to help Bud when he hit that girl on her bike in Montauk last <laughs> summer. Right. What did that cost? Because, you know, Pete's dad is icing him out and saying, I just don't think that's a good idea. You know? Yeah, it's totally um, I just find it so funny because Pete delivers it like such a fucking 
you know, for lack of a better term, bitch. Like he's just <laughs> he's just had it. He just yeah. snaps. He goes off, and and he drink, he makes a face after he says it. Like he's he knows he's right, and he's just so proud that he said it. You know, right? Yeah. Um, and he ha- he gives no fucks. That's the thing. When Pete's in a in a pissy mood, he gives no fucks. He'll say whatever he wants to, and then it's up to the other characters to have to sit in the the awkwardness and cringe. After he just, it's like a child lash out, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a very childish move. I'm thinking of some right now from the later seasons where he has kind of a tantrum that I'm just, I can't wait to watch those. <laughs> I don't know. I love Pete. I don't know why. I, I hate some of the things. I get he, it. I get it. I hate some of the things he does in this episode, but I love I love the boy, and I, I have faith in him. Yes, it's good to have uh, faith in the little Pete. Um. So for me, this episode, um, uh, the line that you mentioned, obviously, with um, Sterling and Pete, but uh, the other line that I really liked in this episode was um, when uh, Sterling is talking to Don, he's basically telling him, like, you know, your generation drinks basically for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And, um, you know, my generation drank because that's what men do, basically. And uh, your generation drink because of, you know, the wounds inside uh, as children. Right. See that's a that's another example of great writing in the episode because Absolutely. that whole conversation is like it, it encapsulates a lot of the stuff of the whole series about the next generation. And exactly. I've I've had that thought before about is it every is it the job of every generation to think the next generation is going to end it all and uh, you know Don's line about uh, they have nobody to look up to because they have to look up to us is really wise actually for that character yeah that's actually one of my favorite lines in in that uh scene honestly the episode sure it's very deep very deep line and again lisa albert man she's really killing this episode so i think you're right that lisa is definitely a big part of why this episode's great i know that there's writers rooms and they all shape the episode together so i don't want any comments talking about it but i did i did happen to look up her credits and like Every episode that she worked on is like phenomenal, so she has to play some part of that. You yeah, know, and that's why I'm a giving big her part that, of that. that shout out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, good work. No, we got some good ones coming up by her. Whew. Yeah. Um, and you know what? She tends to uh, she tends to write really well for Pete, actually. So oh, dope. I looked up Lisa Albert, who is the credited main writer of this episode, and um, she's 96 wow. now, and. Uh, so she she's an older uh, older writer. So she she brings a lot of uh, I don't know I, I I'm just blown away by the dialogue in her episodes. Um, yeah, man, she's she's great. And um, <clears throat> it's the wisdom, I think. You know what I mean? A lot of wisdom in her writing, and maybe that's what we're feeling about it. Yeah. You know, obviously this episode was made you know a few years back, of course. But um, if you really yeah, I think you can really like hear it, you know, in the dialogue, especially with Don. Don saying that line about you know, um, the kids not having anybody to look up to, is um, it's really strong and profound. And also, the line just has a, just a lot of layers if you really think about it. It's it's deep. It's deep stuff. It almost seems too self-aware, but the way John Hamm delivers it works because he's. Just shooting the shit with Sterling while they're drinking whiskey or whatever they're drinking. And um, yeah, it just it works. It's a perfect synthesis of great writing and great acting. So um, 
Yeah, that's that's a great scene. And I think that also is another great element of the episode is um, the thoughts about our generation, the next generation, the previous generation, etc. Um, I mean, yeah, any scene with with Cooper, Sterling and Don is great because it's three different generations, you know. So. Yeah, I love that. Uh, all right. Well, that's Sterling's gold for this episode. And uh, so for this week's Michael's Mental Health Nook and pied a um, this is a section of the show where I talk about the relationship issues on display and how they could have been resolved more productively. And also I just talk about mental health stuff. Um, for this episode, I, uh, I think I already went into how Pete could have communicated better with his parents. Um, and the only thing I didn't like was that Pete was, uh, was not honest with Trudy about asking his parents for money. Um, yeah. because Honestly, like he would have looked better to her if he was just honest and vulnerable with his feelings. But back then, men couldn't really be vulnerable uh, in that way. They felt like right. So I get why. And he... I'm not gonna lie. Um, sorry to cut you. No problem. But um, <clears throat> if you, you know, I, I, I get it. I get why he, you know, why he didn't. You know what I mean? Because I've definitely had moments like that where unfortunate type news like occurs, you know, and you're not exactly sure how to verbalize it. And sometimes you still do, but you still feel weird about it because you're not sure how it comes off or whatever uh, with the person, you know, what they're going to say or what they're going to think back about it. So I, um, I, uh, you know, Pete does a lot of things that in this episode where like, um, I get it, you know what I mean? Especially him being like a young husband or whatever and trying to be the man of the house and, you know, trying to basically, you know, provide. Because being the provider, you know, role that you have to fill as a husband, especially, you know, in the 1960s, it's 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 something that's, you know, required of him. And, you know, him being a young, you know, a young guy, it's it's, it's pretty difficult. So I, I totally understand the hesitation and all. So, yeah. Oh yeah, they they definitely show the motive where he has a little bit of resentment towards Trudy because she is able to be warm with her family and uh, you know she says she knew her parents would uh, would pay for it and he's not happy about it and it's it's because in that dinner he becomes emasculated a bit like yeah, when you definitely. see when you see his face as he's stabbing at his food on the plate he. He is just like, all right, well, I'm sort of sitting back and watching my own life. You know, that's yeah, how I view yep. it anyway. And yeah, that that's shot, exactly it. Mm-hmm. The shot at the end of the episode as Trudy is telling someone else a story about his family. He, you know, he has it all, but he doesn't seem very happy about it. He's, right. uh, he's just kind of uh, sitting back and letting other people control his destiny. And, um, you know, Trudy's dad is an interesting character. Um, he comes back a few times and I, I have a hard time getting a read on the guy, but the fact that it's like a joke that he says, well, I would have to look at it first. Like both Trudy and his wife are looking at him like, what? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like that's unreasonable for him, but it's like the most reasonable thing you could say. I'd have to get a look at it first and see. And then he's just like, oh, just kidding. <laughs> you know? He literally was now, kidding. Do you- when he did that, 
did you think that he actually was kidding initially or was he really being regularly serious saw the reaction they gave him and they just went back on it i think he's trying to be funny i think that okay. whole dinner he's been cracking jokes the whole time um about being an ad man wanting to see all those beautiful women and when i die i'm going to come back as an ad man he is constantly trying to be fun and uh yeah well yeah he's a fun guy he, you know what? He is like the dream father-in-law where he loves Pete because Trudy loves him. And yeah, that's true. Yeah, which yeah. is great. I mean, it's in Pete, it's so funny to watch him in those scenes because he has no idea what to do with unconditional love. Yeah, he's uncomfortable with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, he, he balks at it and he doesn't feel like he deserves that type of love, you know? Right. He, he would rather... And, you know, he pretends it's because he's scared about the money, but I think that's what he's scared of is, uh, he, he, this episode shows that he had a really tough childhood and there was not much warmth in that house. That's just the yeah. vibe I get. You can have a different vibe, but, um, uh, so I, feel I, on that. I think that Pete has extremely low self-worth mixed with high entitlement mixed with a big ego. Right. And it's a, it's a nuclear combination. All emotional shields, by the way. Right. So, I think I nailed it there with the Pete stuff. I didn't expect to talk about the Pete stuff like that. But yeah, he's he's a very sad guy who had a hard childhood. And um, he's letting it influence his decisions that, you know, he, he's being self-destructive here. I mean, yeah, you know, and there are rules that need to be followed. Roger's right about that. But it's also just the disrespect he's showing Don. And he's... Uh, being a, an uppity little child in this episode too yeah i mean i'll, I'll give uh, him some slack on that though because if you you know he de- he definitely is doing that but on the other hand he's also trying to you know trying to do a couple hail marys because he feels like he's in pressure mode. yeah his dad is calling him out you know Basically saying you haven't done anything with the name. Um, and like, you know, by the way, sorry to bring this up late, but um, for Sterling's Gold, I forgot a line. Or I, there was a funny line in it anyway, where uh, Pete's being mocked about his job. Oh, right. And uh, basically he tells him, he's, you know, he's like, you know, you're out there whoring and uh, it's no job for a white man, basically. It's no job for a white man. Yeah, which no. is hilarious to hear out loud. You know, I, I totally forgot about that part. I can't believe I forgot to mention that, too. I guess I don't I don't think of that as a Sterling school. <laughs> it's like, right. st- it's not. <laughs> but it's it's I love Pete's face after he says it because it's just like we don't know what Pete's read is on that. But we know that he's just like, oh, God. Dad, what the fuck? You know? Yeah, I mean, he's um, dating himself. Yeah, no, he's no he's racist. He's you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that his dad may be racist for saying that. Audience, audience, booze. Boo! Hey, come on! Throwing tomatoes. <laughs> Snowflake. Yeah. Get out well, of here. I don't know. It just seemed kind of racist. It seemed like it was about white supremacy to me, but I don't know. Yeah, Maybe. I mean, definitely. <laughs> it definitely could be. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm misreading it. Never mind. Yeah, Sorry, I guys. think you're a little you're a little off base, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I read one comment disagreeing with me, I'm going to make an apology and be like, "Sorry guys, I shouldn't have done that." But then <laughs> if I read a, a comment agreeing with me, I'll be like, "Actually, you, you know what? I don't take it back." <laughs> it's going to be a great it's going to be a great tilt-a-whirl on this pod. Um, oh, yeah. 
Okay, well, I think I've gone into the mental health. I, I, I really don't want to talk about the Glenn stuff any more than we already Yeah, we did. don't have to. Um, we, we've kind of already talked about it already. I think we sort of went into the mental health aspect of both those characters. They're both, you know, I know I've read this somewhere, so I'm not trying to take credit for the thought, but Betty seems to have sort of a stunted, like, mind. Yeah, I've always said that and about she her. Comes off like, she comes off like a child in some scenes. So yeah, absolutely. It doesn't make an adult doing what she did okay at all right. um but it there is an explanation it's not an excuse it's an explanation yeah, so exactly i think i think i'm stepping out of the bodega slash nook i think it's time for uh that dad break dad break it's it's just the batman theme song yep i know. hear it from the 60s? Yep, yep. Da, 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 da. Similar. Yeah, I didn't get the melody right at all. I just did the... I know you're Batman! Gonna... <laughs> oh, that's it. 1960s or 70s was it? Because uh, I can't remember. I think you're right. It's probably 70s. Oh, okay, 70s. Okay, that's, that sounds about right. Um, so, last weekend, I went and saw... Well, I went to the movie theater. Okay. And uh, on Sunday, and... Uh, I saw Doctor Strange in the Multiverse, or whatever okay. the title is. This is directed by Sam Raimi. Funny part about it is I watched the whole film not knowing of that information, which is pretty hilarious because, like, after you're finished watching the movie, you're like, okay, this this does fit with him. You know, it's, it's interesting style, you know, kind of campy, um, horror, um decent amount of camp honestly uh way more than usual for like a marvel movie you know what i mean um and at the end seeing sam raimi's name i was like ah okay sam raimi everything right. makes sense now <laughs> uh, yeah the, the zombie the zombie finale i don't think that counts as a spoiler i just no. said zombie That's yeah it. you just said zombie so we're good um but no spoils i mean aside from that I do enjoy the Doctor Strange character, generally, but I think one thing that's not working quite as well in this movie is that I don't think the Doctor Strange jokes um, that are sparse throughout the movie um, are really hitting that well. Like they they kind of they kind of falling flat um, to me anyway. While I was watching the movie, um, when he's trying to add this like um comic relief it it's it's they're they're kind of trying to mimic or at least from what it seems like trying to mimic like a tony stark type of like humor delivery um and they're definitely giving him like a lot of these quips in the movie and i i just don't think that they're landing that well at least to me anyway um but aside from that i really thought it was you know it's pretty entertaining um but Given the overall, you know, stuff that we've seen from Marvel, I mean, the movies, it's it's very, it's like a C plus, B minus at okay. best. Did you end up seeing it? Yes, I did. I saw it with my um my little brother Tommy, and um, you know, I I don't know, man. I don't know if I had the wrong expectations for it. I don't feel like I did. Um. But I really, I did not like it very much at all. Yeah. And 
I'm not someone who's like putting the Marvel Cinematic Universe under a sort of like avant-garde yeah, or yeah, I get that. microscope, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I, I love some of these movies. I do. Yeah. Um Infinity War Infinity War yeah, might man. be one of my favorite movies. Infinity like, War is good. In general. I, I think the the pacing the pacing on that is perfect. Like yep. Yep. except except for the uh scene with peter dinklage but even that's like it's it's fine it's entertaining and right and it and um, it goes by pretty quick actually but like the thing about the infinity war movie is that like it feels it's like a modern miracle because like there's like 60 something characters or whatever mm-hmm. and i remember reading the news reports about that movie and me like there's no way this is going to be good and at the time they were like you mentioned the dialogue of marvel movies um and how this one had some tension destroying jokes I think yeah. you, or just not funny jokes. Yeah, like um, they were just they were trying to break up the you know the scenes with like a little bit of comedy and levity, and I just didn't well, think it hit. For for me, there was a period from I think it's about like Age of Ultron to Thor Ragnarok mm-hmm. where they really did ruin like certain scenes with bad comedy. Yeah, um, right. And I got so sick of it. Like even Civil War, which is an overall really good movie. They deflate the tension so many times in that movie where I have a hard time taking the events seriously. Like, right. Thank you. It's okay. It's okay to be like, I mean, I'm, I'm not the arbiter of good taste, but like for me, it's okay to have jokes in a superhero thing and it's okay to have fun. But for a show like Peacemaker, um, which is one of my fucking favorite TV shows of the past year, um, they are funny most of the time, but in the high intensity fights and and superhero stuff it's intense yeah. and they don't like but guardians of the galaxy 2 was like when i almost gave up on the mcu because like there's there's literally scenes where like a villain gives a monologue or whatever that's meant to be taken seriously and yeah. then a character is standing next to them and they go so uh you know we you don't want to use this money for getting a new hair do or so? i don't know like, some <laughs> right. shit like that yeah i don't remember shit. yeah and and I have gotten, I think they've reached a good balance in the dialogue where it's like, there are some jokes, but it's not like the whole music cuts out and like a record scratch type of vibe. Right. Um, it's just white noise. Um, I, the thing that I get frustrated about is, um, these should still feel like, yeah, tense lived moments. in character. Well, lived in characters is what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, Doctor Strange two, for me, like, there's a, there's a reveal of who the villain is in the movie, mm-hmm. and it happens so fast and so abruptly that yeah. it almost I I almost got whiplash from it. And there's no emotion to it, and there should be emotion to it. And that's all I'm gonna say if you haven't seen the movie yet. Yeah, for but, sure. There's zero emotion, and it's just all sort of, like, happening at that point. Like, everything that's happening in the movie, it's just on an assembly line, and this event has to happen in order for this event to happen. And that's the problem with the MCU in this latest phase is, like, it's all a bunch of assembly line. Like, I think that there there is some sort of, like, window dressing on this one where it's more of a horror thing at certain points, but then it still feels like an MCU movie and the cinematography still feels like a cinema, like a MCU movie. Like the first, the first Dr. Strange movie, I didn't like it, but okay. the, the, the visuals were phenomenal on that one. I will yeah, say I heard it was and they good. worked really hard. 
I hadn't, I hadn't seen it though. They worked, they worked really hard to make it stand out from the uh, the MCU. Right. But this doesn't feel like a sequel to that movie. It just feels like another MCU movie. It's just a very strange movie, and um, it is it is very weird. I I didn't I didn't really have any expectations for it at all, to be honest. Besides the fact that you know they were going to introduce the multiverse part, um, which I was you know excited to see if they would nail it or whatever. And um, I hadn't seen, like I said, I hadn't seen the first Doctor Strange, so I didn't really have a connection to the character that deep, besides from Infinity War. So I just wanted to see what they were going to do with the multiverse, and um, yeah. It's not really a multiverse movie. (laughs) No, not really, actually. (laughs) There's pieces of it that are multiverse, but it's not really about that, honestly. I did have expectations about it being a multiverse movie, I will admit that. But that wouldn't ruin... If the plot was good, I would be like, this is awesome. And Sam Raimi rules, and the Spider-Man films that he directed were... They're some of my favorites of all time. And Evil Dead and Ash, they're they're awesome. So yeah. I don't want to speak too poorly. But um, I, I don't know, man. Did you see Spider-Man No Way Home? Yeah, I did. Uh-huh. It's a great movie. I would say for me, I would say for me, that makes the multiverse seem really fun and exciting. And uh-huh. it, it was like, for me, it was like, there's no way Doctor Strange 2 isn't going to be good. Yeah, I think like um, the multiverse is... I, I think that's what everyone was thinking, especially after seeing that movie, you know. And maybe it wasn't an expectations thing then, but I tried to... I actually looked at spoilers for the movie to make sure my expectations weren't, like, super huge. And I, I still wound up being really just... Yeah. It's fine. It's not, like, the worst movie. If you're if you're sitting here saying it's the worst movie ever... No, calm no. down. Like, yeah. But I, I was a little bit... I had different expectations than... Um, or, sorry, no. I, I, I guess I just wasn't really moved by it. And I don't right. really see myself giving it a second shot. But for, like, how fun No Way Home made the multiverse seem, this makes it seem like a really boring chore, is how I felt. And America... America for... What's her name? America Chavez? America Chavez or something. Yeah. I, um, I found her to be almost a Jar Jar Binks type of character. <laughs> Um, yes. not, not on the level of like annoyance of Jar Jar, no, that no, seems disrespectful, not. but it's more like, oh, here's this new character that's really funny and it's the best character we've ever created. And it's really like, oh no, it's, it's just sort of there. She's more of a plot device than a character. Yeah, no, definitely so, a plot device for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's the way it comes off. I will say, I will say, um, I had a fantastic time seeing it with my little brother though. He's a great guy. And, um. I got to have a Mountain Dew with cherry flavoring and a little bit of vanilla flavoring on top because nice. they have those little machines there. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I I had a really fun time talking about the movie with my little brother afterward, and it was cool. He's he's at the age now. He's 15 where he has his own developed taste and his own opinions about stuff, and mm-hmm. um, he was really excited to see the Avatar 2 trailer. And I Oh, yeah. Yeah, Avatar 1 was like, obviously that's not the title of the movie. Avatar was one of those movies where I didn't like it. And I actually, it's the only movie I've walked out of in a theater. Oh shit, you walked out of that? um, That's a whole nother conversation that we could have. Yeah, well, yeah, some other time. I was with a new girlfriend and we just wanted to, um, you know, do boyfriend-girlfriend stuff, I think. But also, it was a a non-3D showing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Make of that what you will. But I, I really couldn't get into it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not 
I'm not really <laughs> huge on um like the av- Avatar honestly is great as like a technical feat. Yeah. But to me the storyline and the writing's not great. Yeah. And I and I love James Cameron, but you know, the writing sucked in it to me. Well, they got the next three sequels written and planned, so don't worry. They've figured out how to make it good, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I would I would hope so. We'll, we'll see. Don't worry, it's all good. Uh, but but no, I don't mean to yuck your yum if you liked Doctor Strange, Jala. I, um, <laughs> no, I I uh, honestly I just thought it was very average at best. Yeah, I mean C plus B minus. I'd I'd go more for C minus or D plus. But yeah, yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you on that. Yeah. Very uh, average though, honestly. I will say nobody cares about Doctor Strange's girlfriend, and it was weird that they did that. Um, yeah, they kept bringing her up. They, they tried to make us care about this character. Um, who has been given no motivation except for being Doctor Strange's girlfriend. Um, yeah. Or sorry, ex-girlfriend. And right. then um, the I actually do like Doctor Strange in this movie. You, you had mentioned he's a good character. Mm-hmm. As a foil to other characters, unbeatable. I love him. Yeah. Like in Spider-Man, in the Infinity War, Endgame movies, in Thor 3, fantastic. He's always one of the highlights of the movie. So yeah, for sure. If Benedict listens to this and he's like, wow, I, uh, he won't be British. He'll be doing his Doctor Strange voice. Wow, I uh, feel really sad they didn't like my movie. <laughs> then we could just let him know, hey, it's a, you know, you were a pretty good part of the movie. You know, you did a good performance, I think. And yeah, don't you're a good part of a lot of movies, Benedict. So don't worry. And I think you did Sherlock. OK, I don't know. I didn't really watch <laughs> Sherlock. So, oh, man, this makes me feel better. <laughs> you know what he's gonna say he's gonna say listening to this makes me feel and then he'll look at his camera strange <laughs> make it rolling credits <laughs> on his life <laughs> on his life right yeah michael mike you are my heroes I love you. <laughs> um, all right so that was a cool dad break. We got it at about 10 se- uh, minutes, not seconds. <laughs> that would be some lightning round. That'd be some multiverse shit. If, <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, some magic. Some some magic Marvel shit. Oh, yeah. um, all right. Well, it's time for uh, Jala's fatherhood corner. Yes, indeed. We can uh, get into the daddy issues of this episode. Yeah, man. We've uh, reached the fatherhood corner. Um, not so much today with Don, though, and uh, his immediate family. Again, Don in this episode um, is very much a background character, but um, the spaces where he is involved in this is really his relationship with um, his back and forth, I mean, more so with uh, Pete. And um, Pete and Don, you know, kind of a rocky uh, relationship this episode. Um, and we had mentioned before how, like, Pete is um, early on in the episode getting emasculated by his dad. And uh, he takes that anger into the meeting uh, with uh, Bethlehem Steel. Um, and Don's really trying to pitch this copy um, that he created for Bethlehem Steel. And um, I don't think... I mean, you can kind of tell that the client is not really enjoying... or Not really not enjoying, but they're not following the concept really. And Pete's not really doing a good job, like, helping the client get along with the product overall. Um, and uh, 
so then Don and Pete kind of have this really weird, like, um, exchange of, um, like, back and forth, where they're kind of like, like, yeah, like, Pete is, Pete is kind of like the subordinate, and, um, and Don kind of feels threatened by Pete, and even Sterling calls him out on it, um, Right, and he's you know he's telling him he's you shouldn't be competing with this guy, and um, Don is like, oh no, I, I'm I'm not. And Sterling obviously clearly catches like what what Don's doing, um. So yeah, but Pete being the childish guy, um, has a lot of, a lot of lines that he thinks he's like digging into Don, um. You know, like one of the lines he mentioned, like something along the lines of um. S- Basically saying, um, you know, you got credit for the work that I did, that I did, um, the paraphrase. Yeah. And and he thought he really got down, like, with that, with that line in a very, like, kiddish way. You know, like, the kid thinks he's outsmarting the parent by, like, thinking they're being super clever. And the parent's kind of just, like, looking at him like. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you thought that that was like a good, a good. Uh, burn. Hope it was worth it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ho- hope that was worth it, right? The thing that's it's so infuriating about that scene is that Don is handling it pretty chill. You yeah, know, you can tell the that most part, he, that Don's very mad at what's going on, but he's, he's trying to. Cool. Yeah, he's trying to swallow it. But my point is what the fuck is pete doing he's gotten away with something so beyond the pale in the advertising world and then he has the nerve after don even says it was a good idea you know enjoy it he then gets pissy and says you know what i think i think i did something good and you got the compliment for it (laughs) right that's just so fucking yeah i have the i have every pete line in this episode memorized (laughs) um it's horrible um, no, that's good. But it's just, it's unbelievable that he, it's like you have some nerve, you yeah. know? Well, so, the thing I that think... Pete's feeling is that he feels that Don is swallowing the fact that um, Pete actually did something that worked. And you can feel it. You can you can feel it when Don's saying it. Because Don is trying to say the words that fit. But, you know, Don's sitting there and he's like, okay, you, you know, you did that. I hope you enjoyed that, you know, that lucky ass. That was a good idea. Okay. Yeah, I hope that was a really lucky move that you that you nailed. But he's really swallowing the fact that being the, you know, don't you ever s- step out of line like that and think that you can go over us and try to sell something to the client. And this is like me trying to channel Don's fatherness or fatherliness, basically. You know, basically saying, "Don't ever try to overstep." Yeah, and but but he, you know, he didn't say that. He he swallowed that and was like, "I hope you got you know your jollies off on that." And um, you can tell that Pete feels what Don's doing by swallowing that, and that's why he throws it back at him. Because what he wants from Don is to be like, you know, Pete wants Don to be like, you know, wow, like you're right, that was actually really good. Um, like to be more surprised about it and like give give Pete adulation for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think you, you might have a place in this uh in this in this space. Right. You know, but he didn't get that. He got a lot of swallowing pride and um, 
hope you you know hope you enjoyed that and so that's why he gets all pissed off and yeah like you know oh god yeah no i i think that first of all i literally have watched this episode multiple times and this is the first time i'm realizing it's kind of like pulling back the moment in the first episode where pete tries to get involved with the pitch and then it fails spectacularly this time it works so now don's pretty scared about that i think Um, yeah he's very threatened and it's it's a good callback to that moment um Mm -hmm. but i i just um i totally empathize with don i think uh (laughs) pete getting shitty you know the best thing he could do was uh fire him in that moment because he's just being so yeah he's being being a little bitch and he's he's being a bitch and he already he he he's being a bitch after he already broke the rules and he knows he broke the rules and he has the nerve to say i'm not getting enough credit for this right um ultimately what pete wants is genuine respect from don and here's the thing don's even nicer in this episode than in in episode three which we talked about last week but he's more fake in this episode yeah very pete knows it he feels it and by the way the the one i gotta make a mention of that you know when pete is introducing trudy to don the close-up shot of him staring at Peggy with the <laughs> smile on, but the eyes are "Don't say a fucking <laughs> word, don't say anything." Right? <laughs> it's uh, it's so <laughs> so tense, and it's so well done. She uh, just waves and walks away. Um, it's bad. Elizabeth but... Moss, Elizabeth Moss. They don't they don't pay her unless she says a line. So they they said just wave. You can't talk yep, in this scene. Don't talk in this part. <laughs> And that was her last scene in the episode. Yes, yeah, only a time performance well done, Miss Moss. I've never seen a show where it has a character in it for that short of time. It's interesting. It is, and I wonder what the shooting was like. Actually, I'm sure she was probably there for like a bunch of like, you know, a couple of little scenes, and then she was out. Yeah, I think maybe. Uh, yeah, shout out to Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, she's she's phenomenal. We would never give a five to an episode without Peggy, our our queen. Yes, she's so, <laughs> definitely Simps definitely one of the. <laughs> definitely one of the queens of the show of course and we will get to the point where i'm just like completely kissing her ass and uh you know loving every second of okay it. <laughs> like i said we're simps for peggy where it's just unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> it's disgraceful these men are simps for peggy <laughs> it's uh it's it's worse than we've ever seen <laughs> all right donald <laughs> uh, trump hates that we love peggy so much uh yeah. but yeah no i agree with you completely about the dad aspects or dad specs mm, of this episode. That's right? nice. Uh, it was not forced at all. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, man. Um, Pete is. Uh, he needed to be. He needed to be punished. He needed to be um, <laughs> right. scolded. And yeah, I. I just. There's so many great scenes in this series of right. Pete in his office. There's one coming up this season that I don't want to spoil for the listeners at home, but. I just love that he has taken forever to clear out his office. <laughs> you know, he was fired and he throws his his stupid record out there and makes a scene. And he's just laying on the couch. He hasn't packed anything up, it looks like. So what, are they going to get security for him? Or is he just going to like come back tomorrow and act like it didn't happen? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's all those reflection of thoughts that he's having, you know. Should I should I make a scene or he's drinking a lot in this episode. He's oh, drinking yeah. a lot. Super drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish they should have they should have had him be drunk at one point and start <laughs> confronting uh Trudy's dad. Yeah. Yeah, just like belligerent about it too. <laughs> yeah. Um I do want to say 
for some reason, the spaghetti that Betty was making didn't look <clears throat> so good to me. I don't know. But uh, the malted milk that uh, Helen made looked pretty good. So I don't know what that says about me. Yeah, you, you're a milk guy, right? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm not. I don't just drink glasses of milk. I'm a 32-year-old man. Which, by the way, Helen is uh, my age. So, Oh, that is weird. You That's You're right. Yeah. That's actually kind of funny Oof. to think about it that way. I should start watching the characters like in my age it's, space, like seeing them in my it's age. It's fucked space. up, dude. Betty is younger than me. I used yeah, to, she's twenty eight. When I first when I first watched the show, Betty was older than me. Now she's younger than me. Yeah, she's 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 a youthful woman now. And you know, times being different back then, a lot of the young people of the day back then, anyway, um, they always assumed a lot older, even. Like, up until the 90s, I feel like people that were younger assumed a lot older. But then we, like, kind of hit the space later on in the aughts, like, where, like, it's cooler to be, like, more youthful and younger, I guess. It's a weird tangent, but I just, I think youth is kind of being more celebrated now than it had been in the past. At least the way it seems. Yeah, I get that. So... Um. Did you have any other fatherhood um, discussions to, to bring up? No, nah, I think it's probably going to wrap up my fatherhood corner. Don and the kids in this episode, they were only in the episode for a few minutes, so not a ton happening there. Don Just, was, uh, quote unquote, watching the kids while he was like looking through his papers and stuff, which is totally fine. It's multitasking. Oh, you know? totally. Right. Yeah. So it would be so funny if I like was like, you know, I'm I'm not a father. I'm just like Don should be watching his kids every second of every minute of every day. Yeah, tentatively. Like, yeah, I've never had kids. I've never had sex. Yeah, I, don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm sorry, but listen, I know what Don should do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're no, out of pocket, think... buddy. You're out of pocket. <laughs> I'm uh, this Coca-Cola Starlight is uh bringing me up Start, starting feeling it yeah. feeling a little bit <laughs> and it's making me lightheaded um, <laughs> so for mod men we're going to do something a little different um and we are going to bring things to a modern space but um i thought this was really cool and i'd actually known about this before um one of the girls that uh pete introduces walt the account guy to her name is wendy and she's actually played by Haley mancini who is a really funny and cool person in the podcasting sphere. Uh, she did a podcast called Godzilla vs. Podcast Zero, cool. uh, which I've listened to a few episodes. It's very good. Nice. And she's been on Doughboys. She's been on Comedy Bang Bang. And um, I'm extending an invite to Haley Mancini to come on our show nice. and talk about shooting this episode and you know whatever else she wants to talk about. Maybe we'll watch an episode with her. Um, that'd be fun but it's kind of cool that she got to be on this awesome show and then did a sort of career pivot to comedy um i think she was always a comedian Mm -hmm. but she she's really popular on uh podcasts and does a good job so yeah that's really dope just a a shout out shout out to Haley mancini and she she nailed her part in this episode so pretty chill yeah absolutely definitely good i will say when Walt says, I thought you just slept all day and bathed in milk. I mean, 
We're coming back to the milk thing, man. <laughs> the milk <laughs> but is he's back. The milk weirdo. <laughs> he's the milk weirdo. I'm not the milk weirdo, man. Okay, okay. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I, res- I reject that accusation. <laughs> I reject it. You know where that's um, coming from, right? The, the 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 bathing in milk thing. No, it's it's like a old like thing where, people. I think people thought like it was like good for the skin or something. Like fuck, yeah, something about like being like soft, as soft as milk. Um, kind of like a rich thing too. Like you're bathing in milk, not even using water anymore. But uh, if you look up, if you look up, bathe bathe in milk. <laughs> it's a kind of like a beauty standard thing. You know, related to the soft skin and stuff like that, um, that women would do. I don't think it was like they would talk about men having like milk baths or anything like that. Yeah, so. I still don't like it. I still think it's uh, gross. You 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 a hydro bro? Is that what's going on? Not I love water. <laughs> I, I buy as much of it as I can. <laughs> only, the finest, only the finest water. <laughs> no, I, I drink it out of the faucet, man. Um, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that's all I need to talk about for mod, man. We sort of, throughout this whole pod episode, have been bringing a modern perspective on stuff. And the the chat with Don and Roger is very much dealing with, it's still relevant today. Yeah. You know, yeah, the generation. That's why whenever people are getting too, like, freaked out about TikTok and like, oh, TikTok is ruining our kids and these kids are so fucked because of tiktok i'm like well we all did stupid shit right when we were young yeah and we all posted that on youtube or myspace or before the internet we just filmed it with uh, a vhs camcorder or you know kids are gonna be idiots and people are gonna get darwin awards and <laughs> it's really reactionary to say that it's because of this one platform that people are being stupid you right know? so yeah exactly uh, the kids are all right. There's there's some really cool kids out there that are uh, more politically active than I was when I was their age, and they're more sure. focused on climate change than I was when I was their age. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there's 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 lots of smart kids out there. And if anything, the internet gives those people a platform too. So right, chill out, folks. It's all gonna be okay. It shall be. It shall be. Well. Anything else we want to go over before we uh, shut the bar down tonight? Hmm, one last modish segment that I have. Um, I mentioned it previously, but um, it's the man being the breadwinner in the family piece in this episode, um, especially for the time period. Um, it's very common to have like a one income household. And that be able to, like, sustain, like, the whole household and family and kids um, for the most part. You know what I mean? And it's interesting to kind of see, like, where we've come um, in modern times. And we've moved quite far away from having, like, the one household or one income household um, as time has gone on. Um, Now it's, like, recommended um, for men and women in the household to be working to support themselves. Um, and uh, we've moved up, obviously, more with, like, equal pay. And, I mean, we're still not all the way there, but we've definitely stepped away from the option of having, like, a one-income household and making it, like, easy and manageable to do. And I know it's possible to do, 
but it's it's just not as common because of the diff that because of how difficult they've made it um one income household thing. yeah so but props to the people that are able to do it and um keeping it strong i got a, i got a i got a couple uh, a friend couple that uh definitely kind of falls like closer to that boat um and they make it work and uh but it can be tricky to balance i'm sure so especially if you're like looking at like house buying and um or anything like with credit and equity and all that stuff like that was all able to be done previously you know decades ago um with one income um so so it's maybe Great for the point. worse you know oh i'd say i'd say for the worst definitely i don't know um that's crazy to think that like a living wage was like the natural order of things right back then you know yeah, yeah. um but that's a good point i i also want to bring up because i you you reminded me of this and i was thinking this was on the tip of my tongue the whole episode the line that i found really interesting and it illuminated some stuff for me was when helen bishop is going to a jfk um volunteer event yeah and betty doesn't really know much about john f kennedy she just knows that he's handsome she saw him on tv or whatever <laughs> right yeah. um and she says this line that's kind of a throwaway line but that's how mad men is she says, oh, well, we don't know who we're voting for yet, which that basically implies that the man is going to make the decision on who they both vote for, right? Right. Oh, yeah. I don't think I'm out of line to say that. No, no. So, I, th- I think that fits the time. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, I'm not for that. By the way, it, okay, guys. It, it does show how far ahead that, like how far ahead Helen is as a character in the, in the time period of the 1960s. Because a lot of our conversation, um, to go back to like Helen and like how she responded um, to with Betty, um, when she's talking with her about kind of like her trials and tribulations with marriage and her family system situation, you can kind of see the difference in like the way that Betty speaks and versus the way that Helen speaks. Um, Helen's more like in depth about her life and more free to like speak about those things. And Betty is so surface level with her conversation and not interested in being like having like a deeper conversation about things. Um, Helen was talking about kind of like how like her husband wasn't a bad man and um, and like, you know, kind of her interaction with him. But, you know, Betty was kind of like her response to that was basically like, oh, yeah, I mean. I, I I just really like your house. I think it's lovely. I mean, like, that was, like, her two cents that she added to the conversation that they were having. And I just I just think it's um, it's interesting to see yeah. the difference between them, those two, um, and how Helen has a modern spin. Yeah, so to speak. Right. Um, Helen is cool. Um, I don't know what the show's trying to tell us about her because she also raised Glenn, so it's hard for me to say that because it's like, she seems really cool and is more upfront with her emotions. So I don't know. Right. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting that during their exchanges, Betty is always deflecting and, uh, and like hiding the truth mm-hmm. and sort of uh, she's repressed. She's so repressed and hiding her right. thoughts yeah. and, 
and hiding the truth. Like totally, Helen is so right on when she says she knows that they've all been talking about this stuff. And Betty is defensive and, and says, oh, they haven't been doing anything. It's yeah, just, we haven't done any of that, which does sound Helen childish. Knows. Yeah, Helen knows, too. She's like, okay. Right. Well, and also, I do think it's funny that, you know, she is totally chill and totally able to come out and say, here's my situation I'm mm-hmm. going through. Betty yep. tries to say uh, she just wanted to hear about what happened that night. And Helen's like, well, I was going to come out eventually or something like that. Right. She's like, oh, I was going to I was going to tell you eventually. So who cares? <laughs> but yeah, I guess it'll be interesting to see the subtext of the show. And what they're trying to say about Helen's character, because I think she's cool. I don't know if we're supposed to think she's cool, but I think she is. I, and, I think um, she, she's certainly not I think flawless. she's definitely... Yeah. She's definitely doing the best she can. You know what I mean? She's she's in a unique space for the time, I think. And there probably wasn't, like, a ton of, like, single mothers, you know, around that time period. Especially in the suburbs. So, so she's definitely in a unique space and, like, carving her own way in... She's like living in a suburban town where, where you know, she doesn't have a ton of examples. So I think she's really like doing the best that she can with, you know, having a child. I think she has two kids, actually. Yeah. Baby. Yeah. She, she got a baby and Glenn. Yeah. And uh, which is difficult, especially for one person. I believe it's his sister. Yeah. Oh, it's his sister's. Okay. And then she's got to work, you know. She's doing everything. Yeah, she is. And speaking of props and speaking of doing the best that you can, I want to end this episode by giving a shout out to Salvatore Romano, the art director, because <laughs> um, he he got disrespected by Don saying that, you know, we could throw this artwork out in a minute. Uh, I just love his reaction where he just clears his throat and Don has to sort of <laughs> respect him a bit. It's like, okay, okay. Like, <laughs> it's... <laughs> He, he sort of realizes he's being a little disrespectful. Um, but I also love that. Well, it's it's hard to imagine the fact that Pete says to the, the client, give them 24 hours to think of something new. And you know how hard it is to do artwork in the 60s? Uh, it, it's it's so rude of Pete to just say, give this time frame without consulting with them. Um, and then Pete gets his comeuppance and Sal has his revenge for that by, uh, I, I look forward to getting to know Sal more, but folks, he's a great, he's a great funny character. And he, he has a lot of, a lot of interesting story developments are going to happen for that guy. Oh yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, I think we've covered everything. That's another one in the books. Um, indeed. I hope you have a good rest of your night and I hope that Luna continues to get better. Thank you, and, uh, Yes, we're on the recovery. I guess, I guess I'll see you same mad time, same mad channel. <laughs> Absolutely. Another round of Dadman in the books. And uh, we will see you next week. And remember, the medium is the message. Bye, everybody. Adios. This has been a Destiny Park Media production. If you like the show, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. For more content, you can follow us on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. We're going to be posting video clips of your favorite podcasts, as well as glimpses at new music. And hey, drop us a line or send any questions you might have to destinyparkmedia at gmail.com.